everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Scratch Cinema Podcast. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Quinnell. She says, shaving your head makes your ass fat. It's science. <laughs> Absolutely is science. You guys have never seen a bald woman with a flat ass. You haven't. Because the second you shave your head, your ass grows three times like the Grinch's heart. That's just You should science. write some sort of scientific formula or a paper and <laughs> become famous for that. <laughs> Grinch science. <laughs> how how are you today, Quinnell? I'm doing fine. As you all know, I was getting a puppy. I now have a puppy. How so is the puppy? That. She's great. Her name is Blueberry. She's adorable. She's not here right now, which is great. She's chewing my headphones. Um, I am a cat person for those of you who didn't know. Uh, but I, I like her. She's great. That's good. Um, you had for the past couple of weeks been talking about a movie that was coming out from the Welcome to Blumhouse series, and that was primarily what we were going to talk about today. Do you want to introduce what it is and why you were interested in in watching it? Yes, I've been talking about the movie Evil Eye, which I thought was a TV show. Stoked that it wasn't. It was taking as long to consume, um, and. I mean, I was excited about it. I saw the ad. I thought it looked really interesting and like it would be engaging. And while I do have a few criticisms, I found that to be true. I actually really enjoyed it. What did you think of it, Chase? I thought it was up among the best of the ones they released, but that's not saying much. <laughs> I thought overall they were not great. I didn't think it was particularly a horror movie. I thought it was more of a tense drama and I liked a lot of that element of it. I really liked the main actress as the daughter. She was in a really good funny movie this year um, that came out recently that was called, what was it called? It was called Save Yourselves and that was more of a comedy but that was scarier than this. This was <laughs> much more about a mother-daughter drama and dealing with family trauma and the isolation that came from her being in the United States and the mother being back home. I still wasn't huge on it, but I still thought it was, it was solid as a drama. I just think my expectations of it being a horror film maybe are making me a little more critical. It was like they throw in a couple dream sequences to make you think it's a horror movie, but it's, it's kind of not. I don't know. I don't want to be too hypercritical, but I'm I'm glad glad you liked. <laughs> I mean, I I agree that it wasn't a horror movie, which I feel like that just keeps happening to me that I keep intending to watch a scary movie and then I start and I'm like this isn't scary. Why isn't it scary? That's what I signed up for. Um, it definitely was more suspense. I, I mean, I I really enjoyed sort of the commentary about sort of trauma and how to deal with generational trauma. And I, I mean, I guess as far as the suspense goes, it's very different for me from other suspense films like Nocturne, which we're going to talk about later, because I, I feel like I had a better idea of what I was waiting for. And throughout the film, you just sort of have to like pick a side. Like, do you think that the mom character is nuts or do you think that she's right? And I mean... You know, by the end, it is very obvious, but I think for a lot of it, I, I had questions. Like, I was I was sort of on her side, but I was also like, am I supposed to be? 
that's a common thing in horror where it's like you can't explain to anyone what it is you're experiencing. They all think you've gone off your rocker, that there's no way you're knowing what's going on. If they had made it that she just was delusional, I think that would have been a super big letdown for all of what they were building up, which is why I think it's already better. We don't have to talk about it that much, but there was the movie The Lie with um, the actress from Kissing Booth, whose name I'm forgetting right now. She little short one. Yeah, it was it was a movie that basically shoots itself in the foot in the last five minutes. And if you were to ever rewatch it again, it would just be like borderline silly because of the plot twist towards the end. This was a little more self-assured. And I think the the lack of fear didn't come from me not rooting for the characters or the tension I felt at this man basically weaseling his way in and conniving his way in that was incredibly tense at times but it never really becomes scary it was always framed more around the dramatic element and the dramatic tension less so from a horror type of film it's certainly a drama but i definitely was screaming at the screen like it was a horror movie there there were moments where i was like very like edge of my seat especially that end sequence where they're all together I mean, it's just, it's just a slow build really to that moment that there's no other really scary moments before that because of the distance that's created like physically between the characters. Right. And, and the, I, go ahead. I was going to say the character that is, you know, our villain isn't very threatening for most of it. Which again, it's that he's luring you in. Like we as the audience, oh God, what, what was one of the lines he said that I wrote down? He says, I'll never bullshit you, which immediately in my head was like, yes, you will. That sounds like <laughs> something someone who's about to do something would do. Sounds like something a bullshitter would say. Exactly. And I understand what the distance was going for. It was that disconnect from family and feeling isolated and lonely. I think it needed to create a little bit more connection that the fact that they were so distant and they only communicated through phone calls for one save for one moment where they kind of flip it the video phone calls are kind of a little bit visually uninteresting it's not a very dynamic scene but they have a lot of those because it's the only way they're able to talk to each other so they kind of narratively need to and so it's great when they're all finally in the same room together but man, oh man, I was like, oh boy, this this is phone call the movie. This is long distance. <laughs> and that's a shame because I thought the character stuff was interesting. I just was like looking for a little bit more of it being dynamic of them all in the same room talking through some things. Instead, one of them is in New Orleans and you don't really get to see much of New Orleans. So I highly doubt it's actually New Orleans. Oh yeah, absolutely not. <laughs> It's definitely... like, unless you know this one little coffee shop, there's really not a chance. <laughs> it probably was in Toronto or something, where it was again where they <laughs> shoot it somewhere else. I think I think the problem is because in the first couple minutes they say it's based on the Audible original, which I think mm -hmm. was essentially written as like a radio play. Although we mm -hmm. now have podcasts, I think that phone call dynamic would make more sense when it's just something you're listening to. Mm -hmm. But visually, the going back and forth. Is just like, oh, okay, are they ever actually going to have a scene together? Or is it just going to be the, the like bouncing back and forth the whole time? Well, I think and there's one thing that I like about that barrier, which is that I like that there are moments where the characters can't see each other. Um, 
for me, it means that they have to, they can't play off one another in a scene as far as like the acting goes. And so I found those scenes really interesting. Like when her mother is sort of having a spell and she can't see her and she's sort of like, hey, you just stop talking. What's going on? Uh, and, you know, that sort of that stress in that moment of the disconnection. I, I found that really realistic, really relatable to me. I got you. And I, I felt a lot of relatability to both perspectives. And I think that was a good achievement that you were able to have both perspectives, the young daughter and the older mother, be in tension with each other, but never demonize either of them. Because I mean, you, you see it from both their perspectives, the kid who just wants to make their own way, who feels like their mom is controlling, especially because for the first time, she was kind of doing what her mom quote unquote wanted, which was to get in a relationship, settle down, find some stability that way. But the mom who has this thing in her past that only she has really experienced and it's hard to explain to everyone else, all of that was good. And I wanted to like this more than I did. It just, I, it felt, I don't want to say boring, but I felt like for just so much of it, I was waiting for something to happen. And I'm usually a big fan of slow burn movies. Like I like the movie Burning, which is basically three hours of a slow burn this felt just like there wasn't that connection that was had despite all the good performances despite an interesting narrative core i don't know it's weird because i liked the movie black box which you didn't see but is another one of them and i liked that more even as i know the story is more flawed but it felt like there was like some momentum this i was like when are we going to get to it we know he's bad <laughs> when is she finally going to Well, I was out? I didn't know. I didn't know he was bad. I wasn't sure. I, I thought wasn't sure that he was bad. I thought they were maybe going to leave New Orleans and go back. I thought that was what was going to be what happened, so I liked that it did flip my expectations that the mom showed up. But I don't know. I you you're telling me you thought it was just going to end with him being totally legit and there was nothing wrong. No, but I wasn't sure whether or not like, I wasn't sure who was going to be the villain because there was this possibility for me that her mom becomes the villain. Right. That she she lets her paranoia and her desire to keep her daughter safe to, like, you know, you know, if that ending had happened without you knowing that her super her superstitions were legitimate, she could just be a murderer. You're right. She could have been, but... I think that would have been narratively very unsatisfying and not make much sense. Cause I think it was that, what? I think it I, was. I, I don't think I think it would have made sense. I mean, I don't, I think it might've been less satisfying, but I still think it would have been really interesting to see, you know, this story that tells about how your past trauma influencing the rest of your life can be, it can be bad. Mm -hmm. That, and I think that would have been really interesting to have this mom on a manhunt over some superstition and a horoscope. I don't think it would have been boring. No, but again, it would have been that it was even less of a horror movie. It was more of her as a character study and as like a psychological deconstruction of her own fears and trauma, which it still was. It already was in a lot of ways. That's exactly what it was. I just don't know if this movie had enough substance to that. It sort of felt like very repetitive where it'd be like, oh, okay, they're not believing her. Oh, okay, she's flashing back. Okay, and it just was that like over and over and over again a little bit. 
And that doesn't have to be bad. It can be that you're sort of hitting the same notes, but kind of getting deeper into it. I just felt like from start to finish, I was like, okay, I know what this is. I've already got it figured out. That's that's what they're playing with, that uncertainty of, is she seeing this in her head? Is this her own delusions? But again, if it just was her delusions and we're just watching a delusional person be delusional for a feature-length film, I don't know. I I don't know what that necessarily is. I know I'm being very harsh and critical on it. I just wanted more from her character development from the relationship she had with her daughter because there is that distance that has a purpose and is meant to establish how they're isolated from each other and how that isolation has led them to drift apart. But in a movie, I kind of wanted them to have more together. I think they could have had her come there and be physically present, but still distant from each other in another way. Did you see, oh, you did. We talked about it a while ago, The Invisible Man. Mm-hmm. how she was very distant from all of her family from her sister from her friends none of them quite can understand what she's coming from even as Absolutely. they're sitting there with her going with all these things so i think it could have been that the distance and similarly everybody thought she was crazy and she's paranoid right. and that she had to explain the unexplainable to them but then ends up being correct i think it could have been that the opening setup that they were so distant and far apart was the initial setup, but then it more quickly brought them together. And then you got to see them be physically present, but still emotionally distant from each other. Instead, the whole time I was thinking, I don't think they're actually shooting in either of these places. I think both actors had busy schedules and they had to keep them apart and film all their stuff separately, except for the end conclusion, which I still did like, even though there's some weird thing at the ending that I'm not sure about, but... I don't know. I still what think it's thing possible. at the ending that you're not sure about. Where where there's like the the thing in the hospital where there's a beeping sound and you're not mm-hmm. sure what's happening. Do you know what I'm talking about? I, and then there's I, a beep. I, I, yeah, well, I, I mean, I'm sure what was happening, though. Okay, I guess we'll get into spoilers. What was that? I mean, because because he's like a reincarnation of this, this man. Yes, absolutely. What are you talking about? I was shaking he was my born head. Exact, he was born exactly nine months after the first one died. So is this setting up for a sequel that they're going to be just dealing I with? I don't it think over it's a sequel over? setup. I think it's it's just like part of the narrative, which she sort of talks about. Which is like, well, what if he comes back? And she there's this conversation they sort of have that. I don't know. It seems like it's a little bit in conversation with the plot, but also with the you know more magical realism aspect, which is like, well, there will always be men like this in the world. So it's sort of thing that this is a cycle that repeats itself, regardless of whether or not it is actually reincarnation. And then it actually is also. But then, it, I don't know. It it sort of felt like kind of a a cheapening of it which is that mother and daughter finally coming together but then it's like oh no like an end stinger yeah that's exactly what it was maybe it's just you know what this film really reminds me of like an early 2000s movie oh absolutely and i enjoyed that i really did like that about it but (laughs) that's a lot how a lot of those films end sort of like ooh, (laughs) you know it's pretty fun I I hear what you're saying and I agree with that, but it felt more, I don't want to say like silly or campy, 
but it was like oh like an old throwback horror movie where it's like and he's back like he he never you thought he was gone when i was like oh the emotional core to it of the mother-daughter relationship that stuff is the most interesting and we got like maybe a couple scenes at the end that i think really made the most of that but then that's undercut by it's like oh down the hall he's being reborn as a little baby and they have no idea <laughs> I, I, I guess i don't know if it, it's supposed to be in real time this hospital the hospital okay. seems, it's kind of weird because i'm not because the way that they've established that this works it shouldn't be happening right this second you're right but i mean that doesn't matter you're right it absolutely is that sort of moment where it's like Ooh, like he'll never go away but i like that i do i i enjoy this spooky little it's campy it is i'm not gonna deny that but i just i just think that campiness was in a little bit of contradiction to the more serious emotional story it was trying to tell and that was the stuff i was like more interested in than basically it being a horror movie because obviously there are there's this world we live in where we're like a post-horror world where it's like the horror is really the backdrop and it's the story they're trying to tell but this wasn't a horror movie except for like little tiny things that seemed to gesture towards it but i don't know i also just felt like it was visually very flat and the settings were very similar they didn't really get to do a whole lot and i think that's unfortunate i think it might be a budgetary constraint because there was also several moments where I noticed that reshoots probably would have benefited. Like when there's the pushing off the bridge sequence, he like jumps from one side of the bridge to the other. I'm like, wait a minute. It wasn't a seamless thing. Like you just suddenly had him go over there. And I obviously, if I'm noticing things like that, I'm not bought into the story. So other people might not be even caring. Yeah, there's because no chance I noticed that. <laughs> Absolutely not. I was invested. What what else did you like about it? Since I'm being negative, Nancy, what else did you like about it? <laughs> I mean, I just, I like the story. I like the, the characters and I like their development. Um, see, now I'm thinking things I didn't like. I feel like the, the dad character was really involved for a long time and then had like no arc at the end, which... Well, he was sucked. a foil. He was the yeah. the one who was more supportive, but then also more critical of the mom. Yeah, but I wanted him to be able to have this moment where he was, like, a real character. Like, where he wasn't just... I mean... And there's this commentary that he sort of makes where he feels like he wasn't really there for her when she was actually going through this trauma. And I would have liked for that to have been wrapped up in some way. Like, where for him to have this moment where he could have been validated in the fact that he wasn't really there for her at all when she was going through the trauma. Like, she was being stalked and he was not around i would have i would have liked to see that um but i i like the way that the characters were developed the way they were explained through their relationships with with other people i really enjoyed that i agree i i think the relationship stuff is my favorite part and the stuff i might remember the most of it it's just the rest of it felt like a missed opportunity for me and that's unfortunate because I don't know, none of none of these horror movies, these four of the eight, I think there's going to be more that comes out. None of them really felt like they had fully realized what it was they were going for. 
And I think there's like a really good story in here. And it's one of those things where I want to see more from the director and more from everyone in it. It's just like, maybe get them a more of a budget. Cause I know Blumhouse kind of operates off like the micro budget thing and you sort of get by, but this, I could really feel some of the budgetary constraints based on locations and distance and all these little things that unless, unless those were decisions made, I think they might've been bad decisions, but I don't know. It's just, it's just an unfortunate constraint that they have to spend so far apart and for so long that the ending is really cathartic, but in retrospect, it just, it just crosses over from being about the distance between mother and daughter to being like they're in totally different movies and you never get to see them interact as much as I would have liked. I agree, but I also feel like culturally that's interesting. Oh, for sure. I think that I don't know how, I don't know how they could have better captured that dynamic, and also put them together. Like I really think that that that's interesting having, you know, a kid who was in America and who is sort of, I mean, who is truly American as opposed to you who is, you know, you were an immigrant in America and now you, you know, a foreigner again and feeling both foreign to their setting and also foreign to the relationship. I, I don't know. I don't know how else that could be captured, really. You're right. I think I think maybe if they had done a little bit more creative things with their phone calls, because there's the one interesting visual sequence where instead of talking into phones and they're cutting back and forth, they have them right in front of each other. So they're like mm-hmm. talking to each other, but in their own locations. That was the most interesting shot of the movie and the one I liked the most. I don't know. <sighs> I really like the flashbacks. That's probably my favorite part of the film. Yeah. Which flashbacks I, in particular? Um, I really like the one where she's like being stalked and she's and I really I liked how aged the film looked, but without it being cheesy. I feel like a lot of times when they try to age an image, it comes out campy. Even in films that are good, it's really hard to sort of capture that time difference. Um but it's like the the older scenes were shot like older films and that was really interesting gotcha yeah i agree i think i think there were some potential moments in it but i don't know i think with that we'll probably move on to to nocturne which was one of the other blumhouse horror movies that came out this week um what did you think of Nocturne, Quinnell? I liked it. it okay. Deep Black Swan vibes for me. Yeah. It's interesting because I didn't like Black Swan. I was going to um, say something mean in regards to that, but go ahead. What were you going to say? I was going to say Black Swan is a little more art house, like, out there. This is a little bit more grounded. There was some critic who had said this feels like a YA Black Swan which is maybe a little mean, but I feel like not not saying that derisively, it feels like it's much more about like coming of age. And I think that age difference is important because Natalie Portman is, I don't know, way, way older than this. I don't know how actually old no. Sydney Sweeney is in this, but. Absolutely. Like they, they are certainly younger people and the, the setting is important because they're sort of deciding what to do with the rest of their lives there's a lot of uh, conversation about their future but i think that the sort of 
competition and that tension and also the uncertainty as to what really happened is very present there yeah to where it's a very unreliable narrator because the plot is it is two sisters julia juliet excuse me and vivian Mm -hmm. and they both play the piano and they're both in a very fancy program to play piano and art school competitive art school and basically Vivian has overshadowed Juliet she's always been much better she's been basically in her sister's shadow being her understudy feeling that her own work and talents don't really get much attention while Vivian is like very beloved she's always very not flirty because that's what the description of the movie said but she's very stroking of the that's also a bad word she's I was gonna say stroking their egos (laughs) But she's always much more confident than Julia. She's is. mean. I hate Vivian. <laughs> I don't know why she's so well liked. She's an asshole. But I guess they're teenagers. And when you're a teenager, you're like, you really like assholes if they're pretty. But I can't stand Vivian. She, she has a very manipulative personality to where she's playing the game to get attention a little bit. And yeah, she doesn't like the piano as much as Juliet likes the piano, and that's why it sucks so much for Juliet because this is something that she really wanted to dedicate her life to. She's the right. reason that they even started playing piano, and her sister is going to Juilliard, and all she wanted to do was go to Juilliard. It's just upsetting. I really feel for her. <laughs> like that sucks, and I hate Vivian. Not to mention, she's sacrificed so many milestones in her life. Mm-hmm. to try to achieve this thing that she just isn't good enough to achieve and that's so I mean that's the truth and that's it's sort of like looming throughout the entire film that she has all this ambition she has all these things she wants to do and she's having this moment in her life where she's finally like speaking out and growing some balls like her sister told her to but it doesn't really matter because she doesn't have the talent I mean She's obviously gotten to this point. So even if it's not talent at the piano, it's talent at managing to convince people she's good at what she does. Not even because nobody believes that she's good at what she does. Like when when she asks to work with that particular teacher after she gets her teacher fired, I mean, he got himself fired, but it, there's right. a there's a dynamic there. But after he gets fired and they basically tell her, well, you know, he only works with people who are serious. Like nobody actually believes that she's serious. Her old teacher never, even though he knew that he was holding her back in some ways, he didn't actually think that she could achieve what she was hoping to. So he didn't feel that it was his personal responsibility or his effects that held her back. He's like, she's not that good anyway. So it's fine if I'm not that great of a teacher. And it just sucks because everyone is underestimating her and she's upset, but they're also right. You're right. And she knows it too. She does. They all know it, but it's sort of one of those things that just goes unspoken and no one wants to directly address it. And she's so sensitive about it and nobody thinks that she should be sensitive. Like her mom gets ready to tell that story about when she was a kid and she froze up and she wasn't able to complete her solo. And she just does not want to hear that story. But nobody even thinks anything of it. They're like, why are you so sensitive about this? This is who you are. No, I agree. <laughs> it sucks. It it very much sucks. Did you see, I know this is going to be a, a very out there reference, but I was thinking less of 
Black Swan, even though there are certain elements in it. Did you ever see the movie Raw? Julia de Carnu was a French oh, cannibal movie. No, no, I didn't. Because you know I love I love cannibal content. This would this this would be quite up your alley, and I think we could do a specific episode around it. But the reason I thought of that more was because of the sister relationship. I don't think it goes in the same direction or is as devoted to that. I think this system relationship is more about controversy and competition and conflict. Whereas in Raw, it kind of has some of that, but they end up coming together for different reasons because of their shared, let's just say, hunger. Um, (laughs) In this, it much more is just that there's been a favorite sister and the one who's been kind of pushed down. And it's her trying to find her way while also discovering that a previous classmate who had died was maybe similarly disturbed as she was when she finds her notebook. Again, I this one was a little more scary, I suppose, but it also didn't really feel as much like a horror movie to me. I think this one felt more like a horror movie to me. I just mm. didn't. I guess I didn't know exactly what I was waiting for. And then once I got there, I realized that it was kind of obvious. But that sort of psychosis and these hallucinations that she has makes it a lot scarier to me. I do think that unlike most horror movies where some of that fear is captured in not seeing the horror, Mm -hmm. not really seeing the monster, I really wish that she'd seen the devil one time because I know that's what she's supposed to be so afraid of and seeing, but I'm not sure what his relationship is to the characters. She might have. She might have seen something approximating the devil or taking the form of, because we don't know what the devil looks like, especially that end. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I get that. And there's the weird, that thing that she keeps seeing does seem to be, I just wish there was something that was, that better illustrated what, the villainous role was like is it is it luring like I mean she sort of says that like oh it it seems like it's helping me and you sort of understand you understand what the appeal is you know the whole siren song aspect of what's going on right but again when you say she thinks it's helping her it very clearly is drawing her to a potentially destructive path she might be right though it seems it's pretty appealing <laughs> like oh it sucks that my sister fell off a cliff and broke her arm but also that's Hell. really great for me oh it sucks that my sister was having an affair with our teacher and now her boyfriend's single but also that's really great for me <laughs> it does seem like it's trying to help her get a hold of her freaking life because she's just been so passive and that's another thing i'm not sure that vivian is the favorite sister I just feel like Juliet has really been a bystander in her own life. And that just... Maybe... No, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that, I mean, that just circles back to um, the idea that she sort of knows that she's mediocre, so to speak. But part of it is that she's she's never tried. She just just freezes up. Even from that, that first story that keeps coming up of her being a kid and you know, really wanting to do this, but never actually doing it. And that's sort of how how it goes in the end. Maybe maybe favorite is the wrong word, and it's just the simplistic description from, like, a plot summary. She's not, like, despised by anyone, but she very clearly has 
not gotten the same opportunities that her sister has gotten, which is where her frustration comes from. Just because she didn't try. Like, I, that's kind of what her sister tells her at the beginning, where she's like, oh, he keeps having me play Mozart, and I don't want to play Mozart. And she's like, nobody ever won anything with Mozart. And you can tell that they're part of their tension is her telling her like, hey, you have to take control of your life and her being like, mm, I don't know if I will. And when she finally does, it doesn't even amount to anything. It, it does because she changes her piece to the same piece as her sister and proves herself I mean, as in being the good end, at it. It doesn't amount to anything. Well, okay. Should we talk about the end? Should we provide we a should. blanket spoiler? I don't, think, I don't think the ending is necessarily literal. And I think there are a few clues to that. And it's very similar to Black Swan's ending. But I don't, I don't think she necessarily jumps off in that way based on the fact that people literally don't notice it. And it could be that it's just like, oh, see, it's like how no one noticed her when she was alive. Now no one's going to notice her when she's dead. But I think that is just meant to be a representation of her steep steep decline and fall i don't think she literally falls from the building based on the fact that she also is like somewhat alive at that point still um which there's another movie called revenge where something like that happens but it's like the beginning of the movie and it's really good but it's like more of like a revenge movie and i'm like okay at this point we're just like fully off the rails this is much more of a metaphorical fall i don't think she literally dies like that I'm not sure whether or not she dies. I don't feel confident in that. But I do think that whether or not she dies, it both ending scenes seem to be like referencing her inability to succeed. I agree. Like even if she finishes, you know, finishes this piece and is fantastic at her school, her sister's right. There's no Juilliard scout in the audience. And that teacher is right. It's probably too late for her to be a real star. And all of those things just suck when she's trying so hard. And it, it as I said, it, I just don't think it's going to amount to anything. I agree. I just, I just think that interesting thing of it's like, well, what is happening in her head then while this is happening? What is it that was her realization? Like, what is it that she's seeing when she falls? Because I think it really means that she has, like, fully had a cognitive break with reality. Unless maybe people at this place, it's just such a stressful school. People are falling off the buildings all the time. So that they... I thought, I just thought that I was like, when are they going to see her? Which one of these kids is going to be the one? Oh, they all seem really busy. <laughs> Maybe she's really laying there. Like, when she walks through campus holding a handful of bloody tampons, like, three kids turn around. So, maybe... That, to me, that hammers home that it's not literal. Because while it's funny to imagine the kids just being like, ah, there's another one. Well, I just think they don't see her. Like, not they don't see her because she's not there. Just, like, nobody's noticed yet. It's less a question of seeing. If someone falls off a building, you're, you're going right, to hear right. the sound. Not to be too graphic about it, but it's horrifying. You're and then there's just the couple walking by like, ah, just another day. <laughs> that's, kind of the, that's kind of the tea, though. That you have all of these kids just competing for this spotlight, and they constantly talk about it over and over again throughout the freaking movie. So you just can't forget that not everybody can be a star. And... 
when one falls, whether it's on stage just being mediocre or jumping off a building, the ending's kind of the same. Oh, for sure. And I think that's what I was trying to like express maybe clumsily with it being a metaphor, which I think is also partly because the movie is a little clumsy at times. It is a metaphor because no one cares. It is not to be taken literally that they just don't see her. It is that no one ever really did see her. And the people that did were lying. Lying. <laughs> they were a bunch of liars. Uh, and it was so tragic that that teacher did not want to have an affair with her. I know that's inappropriate and is wrong, but I felt I was so upset for her because it just felt like every because obviously they paint that character with so much sexual tension. No one else in this film is sexy except for that man, for real. And she has this weird, weird moment where she's in his apartment. And I'm like, ooh, I don't like this. I don't like where this is going. This is gross. And then he rejects her. And I'm like, oh, good for him. And it's not because he's not a creepy pedophile. It's because he's in love with that girl's twin sister, who he thinks is actually talented. And I just hated that for her. I just, like, obviously inappropriate. Shouldn't be happening anyway. But, oh, to be overshadowed by your sister in every part of life, including trying to have a creepy relationship with a teacher. Like, oh, uh, <laughs> so bad. <laughs> I, I thought Sydney Sweeney did a particularly good job, and you still haven't seen Euphoria yet, right? I have not. Okay. She's pretty good in that. She was in this movie called Clementine that came out recently that was kind of strange and I think a little bit flawed in the ending, but she was it was just basically two people meet in the woods and kind of lie to each other. And I think she has kind of a very unique presence in that she can be mysterious in certain roles which can be kind of difficult to pull off and I think is important here because we never know how to trust what she's seeing or thinking or feeling I don't know I, I want to see more roles from her I just again don't know if the movie is quite as adept at handling some of the themes it's grappling with like I feel like the fact that we're referencing all these other movies we've seen a movie like this before Yeah. Absolutely. I, I think this is my favorite, though. I'm not going to lie. Oh, okay. Like, because I hated Black Swan, and I felt that it I just, I don't know. It didn't speak to me, and maybe it's that I've never been in that position. Maybe this is just relate, more relatable to me, having been through teen angst, and also just the frustration of mediocrity. <laughs> I get that. Um, I, yeah, I just, I really enjoyed the way that this movie played with her character and the way that she interacts with the prospect of failure before you've even gotten started like she's just a teenager she's just trying to go to college but before you have the opportunity to really express yourself it's already passed you by you're right. I just, I don't know. I maybe am in the position you were in with Black Swan with this one. It didn't quite emotionally connect with me on this one. And I think there was a lot of potential in there. There just would be specific lines that would kind of take me out of it. Like when she first shows up at the school and her dad says the weirdest thing to her. And I wrote it down just because it really was not inappropriate, but just weird. He was like, 
you got a big heart and a beautiful face. And I was like, what does that mean? Like, you're lucky. You're pretty. You got, you got other stuff going for you. Yeah, but that's like an insulting thing to tell your kid. And it's also that she wants to be recognized for her talents, too. I don't know. It could have been that her parents were meant to be bad, but they kind of disappear from the, the movie after that. Well, I think that's what it's, they're supposed to be absent is the problem. The problem right. is that nobody is looking after her, including the people who are supposed to be looking after her, the people she's supposed to be able to trust. Her parents don't really care, and they only love two things, and neither of those things are her or her sister. Um, <laughs> what are the two things they love? They love traveling and musicals. But their kids are doing music. Yeah, and that's the only reason they're doing music is because (laughs) she just had that drilled into her as something that could appeal to her parents and maybe also to herself. And it it doesn't even matter. They still go off gallivanting. And then the teacher, she wants to be proud of her, isn't really proud of her and is basically trying to raise her to be a failure before she's tried. And then when she finally gets the opportunity to work with somebody who believes she's talented, I don't even know what his deal is. I really Neither don't. Neither do I. Yeah. Like, I, he, he clearly doesn't actually believe in her, so I don't know why he said all those things about believing in her. And also, he's a creepy pedophile, but he's not interested in her, so that's weird. I just don't know what he's... I don't know what he's playing at. And he doesn't... Oh, oh, no, yeah, I do. Oh, he just is mad at Vivian. Wow. Yeah, but again, the fact that you're like sort of like, what the heck is going on with him is where I think there are some moments where it's a little clumsy. Well, it's not until you realize that he's, like, obsessed with her sister and that her sister is rejecting this man because he's a creepy pedophile. I don't understand what he he thought, how he thought that was going to go. I guess he thought that he had adequately groomed this child and really she just wants to be successful and he said, screw you. But I don't know. I just don't understand exactly why he why he tells Juliet all of those things unless it is just so that she'll sabotage Vivian because he's got some sort of revenge plot. That's the only thing that makes sense. I don't think he's even that smart. Like, that's not really <laughs> in the text of the movie. It's not. I think you're giving it a little more credit from his perspective about what they were going for. I mean, I just feel like it seems plausible to me, but that is that is the film's main flaw, though I think that was also... Black Swan's major flaw is that it explains so little that it's great for conversation because nobody has a real answer. And you know, I hate that. (laughs) I want to know what the real answer is. But you see, I'm the opposite where I'm okay with things sort of being a little bit unclear and leaving some things open to interpretation. I, I just didn't connect with this one. As I'm not much. happy with them being open to interpretation. I just want there to be an objective answer to be interpreted. Like, I want to know if that I'm wrong. And for somebody to be like, well, like, if, if I asked a director this sort of question and they were like, it's up in the air, I don't have an answer. Like, not just, I'm not going to tell you because I want you to make your own answer. So wait, like, what I is it you're looking one. for an answer to? I just want to know exactly what his deal was. Like, what the what the motivation of this character is supposed to be like when he read his he's little just character supposed to be weird <laughs> like, like he's, because he's so smirky and sinister throughout yeah. the film where he's just like "Ooh, it seems like he really wants her to succeed i don't know why he's got mad sex appeal those are all the things i know <laughs> so <laughs> i just need to know that like all of those things have a reason 
because otherwise like unless it is truly that he wants Vivian to fail because she rejected him I don't know why he would be doing this because he reveals that he doesn't believe in Juliet I think that's where it fails a little bit. This is one time where I'll agree with you because I don't think everything needs to be spelled out. I just think his character was particularly ill-defined and not particularly deep and almost was like a misdirect, like a menacing presence that ended up not really being the central antagonism to her character, which could be interesting, except he takes up a lot of time. Does, but I mean, I like it. He's beautiful. He's really nice to look at. I really enjoyed that. I also like Juliet, you know, putting him in his place and then having an age-appropriate relationship, even though that backfires on her too. She yeah. just really reminds me of the Joker. <laughs> what? <laughs> she can't catch a break. <laughs> she can't catch a single break. Every little piece of her character, everything that she holds on to, falls apart. <laughs> That's exactly what happens to the Joker. I understand what you're saying, but that's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> just, I just am thinking about it and like how she's got all of these little pieces and nothing comes to fruition. And that's sort of frustrating, but it's frustrating because she has nothing. But instead of, you know, and they, you know, they, they go mad differently. Instead of going mad in a way that challenges really the fundamental of the system, she just becomes a victim of it. And that sucks. So is it frustrating in a good way, like where it was intentional and... Oh, for you... sure. Okay. okay. I, I, I think that it's, it's a good frustrating. And I, the more I think about it, the more <laughs> connected to just that experience of being helplessness. Like you're help, you, it's not like it's faded, but in some ways it is like it's faded. And that's sort of like how the, the book plays into the plot. Mm-hmm. And then she burns the book and it's all of a sudden she has no aim, but she didn't have an aim to begin with. She was just searching for meaning and possibly anything. And there was none in anything. You're right. You're right. <laughs> My heart. My heart. The, the closing thought I'll have is that I thought some moments were more visually interesting, especially that final shot. I particularly liked how that was framed and how it looked. I liked it until the zooming out. I wish that they they just that. held on there. Yeah, I wish they'd held there and maybe made it a medium shot, so that you could see people's like torsos and bodies passing in front of the camera, but not like, identify them by their yeah. faces. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. I feel like once it got all the way out, it kind of it felt cheaper, and it felt silly too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like it was almost laughable, and I I would have preferred for it to be you know just tighter on her face. That's what I'm telling you. They're all just like, ah, there's another <laughs> another person just falling in the middle. Bro, we're busy. We're busy. We're stressed. <laughs> we're all just trying to make it. We all just want our moment in the sun. Sorry it didn't work out for you, but don't have time to stop and chat. Oh, boy. Do you have any other closing thoughts? I think you guys should see this movie. I do. Okay. Um, It'd be your favorite? Uh, Yeah, between the two. I mean, I really enjoyed the first one, but I also understand that uh, early 2000s vibes kind of can't be a bit of just like a classic drama situation but I think this one is more interesting to watch and more interesting to discuss and I think that most people and I don't I can't think of really any age demographics that couldn't relate to this sort of story because it's not just about her it's also about the you know the adults around her and their place in this sort of purgatory of failure <laughs> 
You're right. You're right. Uh, on that note, it's time to talk new movies. In a world of new releases, it can be difficult to find out what is good and what isn't. That's why your host sorts through all the noise and chaos to find out what you should spend your time and money with. This is Cutting to the Chase. The first movie is The Trial of the Chicago 7, which the first thing I'm going to ask is, Quinnell, do you remember when Bobby Seale came to mm-hmm. our campus? I do. I've got pictures of that guy. I know. And it was a very interesting talk. He's in the movie. Um, huh. not not himself but his a character playing him mm-hmm. and I wanted to start there because he's in the movie and is vastly underserved by the movie because the the story is there were seven people who at the 1968 Democratic National Convention were protesting and getting involved in a lot of anti-Vietnam anti-war anti-government protests Bobby Seale was there and was there for a couple days but not really involved with the protests and got roped in because he was a leader in the Black Panther Party. They were trying to find a scapegoat and loop them all in together. It's weird because he's in the movie and he's very clearly a strong acting presence, the same actor who was in Watchmen, who we've talked about and that we like. And he gets really underserved. And I think that's why it's a little bit of a weird movie to me. Besides, do you know who Aaron Sorkin is? He made uh, mm-hmm. uh the social network newsroom and i know that's a weird one to first go to but it has a lot of his like sorkinisms where it's like people just being very witty and like funny and like courtroom sequences because it's a courtroom procedural through and through i think there are some interesting ideas in it but it kind of is a little sappy and i think not very serious is much more sentimental The most interesting parts are when the characters are discussing their different tactics. Sasha Baron Cohen is like a hippie. And I think there's something in there, and I think some people will like it. I was less won over by it. I think it's going to be a Sorkin movie that people who really like Aaron Sorkin, even they might get a little tired of some of the things of just everything whizzing around and blah, blah, blah. And I think the problem might be that he directed it, and he didn't have another director to kind of balance him out a little bit. I just would like to say, I think that Bobby Seale was just underserved by history and society in general. Oh, absolutely. Personally, just between the two of them, it makes sense to me that Bobby Seale falls into the background, as did a lot of his philosophies and the success that he'd hoped to have. Anyway. (laughs) For sure. But if you're going to make a movie where he's a prominent character, it feels strange to just sideline him past a certain point. And it it makes it feel strange because he almost basically disappears from the movie at a certain point. Like, we don't even really check up on him. And that's a bummer. And Fred Hampton is given a role and then is killed off screen, which, again, might be something poetic tragedy, but, again, doesn't really center them as part of the story. And I was really grasping for their role, and I think they brought something to the table. And I even like Sasha Baron Cohen as a hippie, but we had so many stand-up comedy sequences of him, and I don't know. For a long movie, I feel like we lost some some stuff in the weeds. Totally different movie. It's called Love and Monsters with Dylan O'Brien. And he basically is a kid living in the apocalypse. And the reason I'm calling him a kid is because he's basically a puppy dog, sad boy, McGee character who's trying to go across the world to reunite with his love. I didn't like it as much. I feel like it's very much a silly kind of sentimental thing. But what elevates it is I think some of the monsters and the designs are really, really interesting. 
it just is the central character and storyline isn't quite as good, especially with an ending that kind of creates an artificial conflict out of nowhere to make him be the hero. And it, it's it's not going to change any worlds, but I think there's something fun in it. Um, there's two characters he meets on the way in his journey that are more interesting, but then disappear as well. Recurring theme there. I don't know. It's not going to change the world, but I thought it was cute and fun. Um, even if he's basically just a sad boy throughout the entire movie. Um, and then last couple, the first is going to be shit house. <laughs> and the reason this movie is called shit house is because it's based around a house. That's a party house, but they call it that. And it's all these characters in college and it's very strange. It's an independent movie. And I don't know if this is your experience, Quinnell, but do you remember those conversations in college where you would basically talk until like two in the morning or beyond? Yes. It, it very much is that for a lot of it. And it's about just two characters. And I'm going to try and not point out things in your own life, but one of them is an RA that begins having a relationship with, all right, I'm going to have to cut that. That's rude. No, no, go ahead. It's fine. Here, yeah. One of them is an RA and she begins helping out this freshman. She's a sophomore and he's struggling. He's feeling very isolated, hasn't made many friends. And they sort of bond over this night. And I think that stuff is my favorite part of it. And I think there's a really interesting feel to it and like kind of authentic dialogue and conversation. Some people might call it mumblecore. I think that's a little bit reductive. It kind of loses me a little bit in the middle because he basically just starts harassing her and sending her Instagram messages all over the place, doing the thing where he likes every single one of her old Instagram photos so she gets an individual notification. And he kind of gets called out for that, but the way it resolves itself is a little bit clunky. I could buy into it that it's just like, oh, people are flawed and have flawed relationships. It just it just loses its way a little bit. I still think the fact that they have better communication later and work through it makes it for an interesting conclusion, even if there's an end monologue that kind of spells it all out. But what's the really kind of authentic thing and the reason I would recommend it is that it feels just very honest, even with the flaws and how the people are struggling and how it's just very slice of life, late night conversation in college, people trying to find their way. I'd recommend it. Um, and the last one is just Kajillionaire. And I don't want to say a lot about it, but <laughs> remember when we talked about Westworld and it was mm -hmm. Evan Rachel Wood as a robot? Mm -hmm. Well, she's in this, but her name is Old Dolio and she is a baggy clothed wearing lower voice register daughter of two hustlers and they're trying to hustle stuff and they steal mail and they like do little scams and frauds and that's it's a very weird strange movie but i think people should see it because the second time around when i saw it it became very heartfelt and kind of sweet and about kind of growing past your family finding your way in the world while also being very surreal and strange. And maybe I was in a sentimental mood when I saw it, but I liked it. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's it for me. Quinnell, what have you been watching or what are you what are you up to? Oh, geez. I've just guys, guys, this puppy has really just been eaten up. <laughs> <laughs> I have not had time to consume too much more media than what we have di just discussed. Um I would like to recommend Kipo and the Age of the Wonder Beasts, though I heard that it might be getting canceled. 
Well, this is their final season part. Yes, right? but um, I heard there's a really cute little diverse cast where people are really interested in cartoons, all you animated series kids show watchers. Um, I would suggest you go watch and support and so that maybe um, Netflix and other, I don't know, what are we calling them now? Networks? I'm going to call them networks. Let's call them by their name. Other networks um, start developing more shows that are kind of similar to this one. And I'm looking forward to talking to you guys next week about The Haunting of Bly Manor. Thanks everyone for coming. I hope you all have a good rest of your weekend, day, night. Whenever you listen to this, just stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll we'll talk to you all next week. See you next week.